Uh, and uh, we started this last year, in 2018, and it was actually Pete's idea, originally. Uh, so the idea was to, in connection with the annual Veritas conference, also to have a gathering, smaller or larger, with uh, the aim of producing research relating to the whole wide area of apologetics. Last year we had the topic science, natural theology and Christian apologetics and there is there are I think 10 papers on its way on their way to publication hopefully in December uh, and that will be online and will all be in English so I think that will be quite an attractive uh, publication. And that was a very natural choice related to having John Lennox with us last year and his whole emphasis in the area of, of science and, and Christian apologetics. This year is a bit different because we are connecting to the wider Lausanne Europe context. And I'll explain more about that in, in a couple of minutes' time. But the idea is to then to, to start to launch a book project uh, this symposium and to move towards publication in September 2020. And you see the topic, Bearing Witness to Christ in the New Europe, Lausanne Perspectives. Then next year we are planning for, I think, what probably will be a, possibly a larger event called Media Engagement, Equipping the Global Church. And that's related to the Lausanne Media Engagement Network globally. And we have already had some interest from that. And the, there is no textbook today for theology students in the area of media engagement, for example. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things we, we want to address through that. And, uh, you know, some of the things that, that really come out of this is... is uh, uh, start in smaller groups, ideas come up, things are developed, and a lot of it is then sharing ideas and listening to others, and then trying to run off with one idea in that direction, another idea in that direction. So that's the, the major emphasis these three first years, different as they are. 2019. Now, the theme, Bearing Witness to Christ in the New Europe, Lausanne Perspectives. And uh, uh, many of you are familiar, and some of you are very familiar with the Lausanne movement. But I think not, maybe not everyone is clear, uh, has heard that some, was it three or four years ago, Lausanne reformulated its tagline as connecting influencers and ideas for global mission. So it's connecting people, leaders, or using the word influencers, even though that has become rather um, diluted, the word influencers in our culture at the moment, uh, but influencers and ideas for global mission. And that happens in three different ways. One is across regions in the world, and there are 12 regions in the Lausanne movement uh, globally, and they are the same regions as IFES, International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, in Norway, Laget, um, 
There's across issue networks, there are 35 issue networks within Los Angeles, some of them very active, some of them less active, and then the cross generations. So it's connecting influencer ideas for global mission. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so grateful that there are some people here who represent not primarily research, but other areas of work, of ministry, related to mission work, to media work, to various kinds of, of, of Christian work. And um, because what this is all about is about the conversation. And that brings me to Lausanne Europe 2020, conversation and gathering. But before talking about that, let me just share this video that gives us I think a good background what Lausanne is about. Connections. They bring us together. They enable us to do more than we could do on our own. What happens when you bring together the right people with the right ideas at the right time? for the most significant purpose on earth, something amazing. For 40 years, the Lausanne movement has been connecting ideas and influences for global mission. God's mission, calling us together to address the foremost challenges and opportunities facing the global church. Starting in 1974, with Billy Graham and John Stott, connecting over 2,000 leaders from more than 150 countries, First in Lausanne, Switzerland, then around the world in the decades that followed. The most globally representative gatherings in the history of the church, connecting leaders to humbly pray, plan, and partner together for breakthrough, resulting in ideas that change the course of global mission, calling the church to share the gospel in both word and deed. Focusing for the first time on unreached groups, introducing a vision mission cities, considering the world's 1040 window, reaching out to diaspora communities, advancing the gospel among oral learners. There are new challenges, opportunities for the global church today. We must bring together our very best for the most important reason, making Christ known. The Lausanne connecting influences and ideas for global mission. Actually, I think that gives us a, a fairly good overview about what the whole idea behind Lausanne and that Lausanne has a unique convening power, convening role within uh, all different regions of the world. And uh, two years ago, a process started in Europe and uh, uh, that has now been, been formulated as... Uh, as the Lausanne Europe 2020 conversation and gathering. Europe is perhaps the greatest challenge for Christian mission today, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is dynamic enough to respond to that challenge. In today's Europe, where migrant Christians from the majority world worship and witness alongside us like never before, we need to walk together to share the dynamic gospel in this new Europe. That is what the Lausanne Europe 2020 conversation and gathering is all about. Evangelical Christians, churches and ministries coming together to seek God and how we might respond to the challenge of 21st century Europe. 
The Lausanne 2020 conversation will encourage European evangelicals to see new perspectives, to build partnerships across nations, culture and generations, and to share their knowledge and experience. But more than anything, we want to see a return to God's word and a fresh wave of evangelistic initiatives impacting today's Europe. We want to see 10,000 leaders join in with that conversation. And central to that will be the Lausanne 2020 gathering for 800 invited leaders in October 2020. And the formulation that has led to, to a formulation about see, meet, talk and act and how this uh, might be something for, not just for those gathering uh, in 2020, but for a much, much wider audience. So, uh, the idea is to think about the conversation as as important as the gathering. Because the gathering will only be for 800 people, but the broader conversation, for example, having 12 people around every delegate, but much beyond that, everyone interested in the theme and developing research and resources related to that. And that is where this symposium comes into the picture, that we are launching the process related to part of the research within this context. That's the idea. When going back to the Cape Town commitment, which uh, came out of uh, Cape Town, the Cape Town Congress in 2010, um, there is a very significant sentence in the preface or the foreword to, to the Cape Town commitment. That was written by, by uh, Doug Birdsell and Lindsey Brown, and they tried to formulate, it was actually uh, formulated by Lindsey Brown, and he tried to, to formulate in a fresh way what is mission all about. And these are, this is actually a sentence I've been reflecting a lot on. I would like to share with you some of the thoughts about this sentence and the implications of that for mission and witness. It's interesting to choose the word witness. You know, well, uh, Morten, you represent open doors, you know, and, and the, the, the word martyr has, be, has become, uh, you know, s uh, identical to giving one's life. But from the beginning, martyreo was a wider word indicating witness. And we know, for example, from John's Gospel, how important the word witness and witnessing, martyr, martyreo, Martyrine and so on. Uh, all those words are very central in John's Gospel. And I think it was uh, Lindsay Brown saying, we need a fresh word for mission and evangelism. A biblically based, and he proposed witness as that word. So, please join me for an exploration of this very, very important sentence. So, so the point is, what was the goal of the Cape Town Congress and everything you know, related to it? Because it was a huge undertaking. Well, the whole initiative was to bring a fresh challenge to the global church about bearing witness. If we start by, 
the first sentence, bear witness to Jesus Christ and all his teaching. What does that imply theologically? Well, first of all, it's very clear what the focus is. The focus is Christological. It is Jesus, who he is. You know, it's like sharpening the focus and focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't think that could be taken as a given thing, as something that we can take for granted in today's culture or today's wider ecclesiastical or church context or wider cultural context. Secondly, there is a very strong emphasis on and all his teaching, the didactic emphasis, emphasis on teaching. Uh, you know, that is reminiscent of, of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. So, so included in, in a <coughs> holistic perspective on mission is, of course, the teaching as important as that. And, you know, earlier today we had a, a, a day on faith education, which, of course, is related to teaching. So what does it mean to have an emphasis on teaching on real solid content. Thirdly, the word witness is from the legal sphere, from the forensic, from the court sphere. So it has a very strong apologetic emphasis. It's about, it's the ring of truth that we hear. And what does that mean for mission? What does that mean for evangelism? What is the role of apologetics? Fourthly, it's a very holistic, being a witness, it's not just by words, it's by our lives. You know, that's why, 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 why the word martyr has led to, to, to that, uh, today's um, usage as someone giving one's life. It concerns all of life. It's a holistic emphasis, a holistic perspective. The task of being a witness includes our whole lives, includes, for example, the whole diakonia, the whole service to other people. It includes the whole wide 24-7 world that we live in. And then finally, an emphasis on the integrity of the message and the messenger. So it's something very important here, I think, being communicated about that the message and the messenger has to be characterized by integrity. That includes, as, as you shared with us, uh, uh, Amy, earlier today, about vulnerability. There is no conflict between integrity and vulnerability, but rather being characterized by integrity means we are also transparent and open about life. So I find this a very rich statement. I found this a way of almost reconceptualizing for myself what does mission involve theologically. And I would love to hear some of your thoughts on that in a minute. The second part, remember that this this was in every nation. Where is this witness going to take place? In every nation, in every sphere of society, and in the realm of ideas. 
And I find it very fruitful to think in terms of a three-dimensional understanding of mission. Traditionally, mission has usually been in terms of the length dimension of mission. You know, take the gospel to the ends of the earth, geographically, culturally, ethnically. And that is still the case. That is still a, 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 a very central part that must not be, be surrendered of mission. It's the length dimensional mission. Take the gospel to those who have not heard it before. But when we complement that, supplement it with the other two dimensions, a very holistic perspective emerges of mission as such, where the breadth dimension is bearing witness in every sphere of society. So, not just the religious sphere, but in every sphere of society. That's one of the reasons why, why the Reformation made such a huge impact, that it touched on so many areas of society. And then thirdly, the depth dimension of mission, bearing witness in the realm of ideas. The fact that there are so many ideas around, and how do we bear witness to Christ and his teaching? in that realm of ideas. If you want to read more about that, you can consult that book on the Lausanne movement, where, uh, where I've got an article on, on mission in 3D. But let me just suggest some of the some of the implications in each of those areas. If you think about what does it mean to bear witness in every nation today in Europe? And these are some of the suggestions that we might want to think about. The first thing is the whole historical background. The fact that the nations of Europe, you know, there's a huge history and how each one of the nations relate to the Christian faith. That is you know, some of the stories intersect and overlap, but there is definitely uh, a, a wide variety, resulting in the history of Christendom for many, many years, uh, but also a huge variety in terms of where about in Europe do we talk about? Are we thinking about the north, or the south, or the east, or central? That's very different. You know, the northern part with the Protestant heritage, the southern part with the Catholic heritage, and the eastern part with the Orthodox heritage. And then we can think about things like, you know, when, when Europe was divided into, into the communist world and the other, the western part of Europe. So also the communist heritage um, as another dimension. So we have uniting elements in Europe, but we also have very different regional emphases. And in the midst of that, we, we talked earlier today about multiple, we heard about multiple identities in terms of, vir of, of the virtual, uh, of, of um, the gaming world. <laughs> uh, you know, people navigate with different identities. But also, it seems as if we all have more than one identity when we think about it. One identity is our national identity, 
which might be the same as our ethnic, but it might not. And then we have our cultural identities, maybe, not even just one. And I think it could be interesting just to, if we shared between us, what, how do we define our identities? What kind of set of multiple identities do we have that make up who we are? And in the midst of the more traditional cultural context in Europe, we have the whole new um, element of the very strong presence of migration and how that is shaping and reshaping Europe. And in the whole area of migration, how diaspora and migrant churches are making a huge impact in Europe. And some of the hopes, hope of, for the gospel is connected to migrant churches. Thinking of church attendance in London, for example, and, and other big cities, the statistics are staggering in terms of how much and what kind of role the migrant churches play. We, we saw uh, on, the, uh, on the video from you know, the introduction of Lausanne about unreached people groups and thinking traditionally, missiologically, who are the unreached people groups in Europe? That is not an easy question, it seems to me, to answer. But that needs a lot of thought. Are there, for example, sections of the youth, youth culture that are unreached? I think so, maybe. But there are people here that know much more about that than I do. Um, so maybe that could be a fruitful thing to, to just talk about. Or are there other unreached people groups? Um, people who have been alienated from the church, who have never you know, who are post-Christian or even pre-Christian in their understanding. Um, I think that could be a really important topic to reflect on, missiologically. And then the final theme, just to suggest some themes here, the role of nominal Christianity. The fact that we have had this Christendom culture all over Europe, and that, that so many people uh, are connected with uh, the Christian faith, either formally as members, or family-wise, or culturally, or a combination. And how does that affect people? Is that a, an opportunity for the gospel, or is that a challenge for the gospel? Maybe it's both. In some cases, a bridge. In other cases, it's something that hinders people from coming to the, to the Lord. To me, all this relates to in every nation. Bearing witness in every nation. What does that imply? Well, at least these kind of issues. If we move over to the question about every sphere of society, it's a fact that our life is very much the, we are pressurized to be marginalized. You know, uh, so it's, we are sort of, um, the whole process of secularization pushes us towards the margins of society. Um, it's very uh, difficult, often very hard, to be a Christian. Back home we have, a, a, unfortunately, only a copy of a painting. 
It's an old French painting. Um, and you, I'm sure you have, if you haven't seen it in our home, you may have heard of it. It's called, I think, Angelos, Evening Prayer. And it's an old sort of 1800 romantic picture. You see a, 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 a couple in the midst of harvesting time. And there is, in the, in the background, you see a, a, a bell tower, a little sort of a, a hamlet or village. And, and they are praying in the midst of the harvesting time. So while they are working, they are praying. Work and pray sort of is integrated. I don't know if you have, have you ever seen some IT consultants alongside their personal computers or Macs? standing there and praying. I mean, it just seems almost impossible for us to conceptualize that. And why is that? Well, it's partly because of secularization. And how do we think about that? I've highlighted uh, Os Yenis' book, The Call. And Os in that book talks about that calling is the truth, that God calls us so, so decisively to himself. That everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion, a special direction, and a special dynamism. Because dynamism, because it is done as a response to his sons. I find that really profound. It, it's the whole of life. So how to be salt and light when we are pushed towards the margins of so by so many different forces. And when thinking about every sphere of society, I think it's at least two things that could be highlighted. One is the workplace arena, where it is, uh, you know, it's um, so easy to become anonymous as a Christian today. And do we actually equip people to be, um, to relate faith and work? And uh, on the sofa, you highlighted that earlier today, relating to the to television series and how young people often don't get the help they need to relate to the work to the workplace this year, this year in june 2019 there was a meeting a forum Lausanne forum in manila uh, but the focus was on the workplace and the workplace as a very significant arena for ministry in today's world Thinking of it, we, we use one-third of our time you know, in the workplace. And for most Christians, it's not in a Christian workplace. I mean, in a workplace where there's a Christian organization or church that is the employer. I think the, the statistics may be 1% of Christians who are working in church and, and mission-orientated work. And the other arena, sphere of society, is the whole question about the relationships. And we all have so many webs of relationships. And I mentioned some of them. I'm sure there are others as well. Family, of course. Friends. Neighbors. We talked today about the virtual spheres. Interests and hobbies. And what does it mean to, be, to bear witness in those webs of relationships? I don't think I'm the only one who finds that sometimes very challenging because we are constantly being challenged not to be transparent, not to be, you know, to privatize our faith. 
in a way that is really, really hard to stand up to. And then the question, what does it mean to bear witness in the realm of ideas? Again, Os Guinness's book, The Global Public Square, where he distinguished between the sacred public square, the naked, and the civil. I find that a very helpful distinction. You know, the sacred is that one religious system is sort of pushed down on everyone. Everyone has to accept that. Like the state church in the old times or a, a Muslim country today. Whereas the naked is the opposite. That's the secular op uh, equivalent where we all have to accept that religion is out of the public square. It's pushed to the sides. And that's of course the major challenge today that we are, we are, we are facing. The naked public square. And also paints the picture of the civil public square. Whether it's a kind of a social contract where we all come with our opinion, with our convictions, and we share, but, and we defend also the rights of the others to share their beliefs and convictions. Let's just briefly visit Tim Keller's, uh, his book, uh, Making Sense of God, is it the title, I think? Uh, where he talks about the challenges of secularism, that it, one thing is the academy, which is very important, all the challenges. The other thing is that we, we encounter it through the, all the media messages. And that creates this kind of cognitive dissonance where young people grow up and do they get the help that they need? I think also, it seems to me in Europe that we are encountering some totalitarian challenges where people try to limit the freedom. And I've mentioned three kind of totalitarian challenges. Uh, Islamism, you know, the, the, the ideology of Islamism, where there's this sacred public square pushing others. Or new atheism, of course. And the gay lobby. And those three combined forces are very, very... Uh, challenging, I think. For example, in the student work, IFES and, and others working in that area seems to be very, very challenging. Another question is the whole challenge of Islam as a belief system. People who are Muslims who may never want to associate themselves with Islamism, but how do we encounter the challenge of Islam and its beliefs? We also have the challenge of alternative folk religion, including occultism. You know, some years ago we talked a lot about New Age, and, and it seems as if that is not dominant in the same way as for some years ago. But it still seems to be very popular to being drawn to the whole questions, the whole, um, that whole area of, of, of belief system. The British historian Tom Holland just published this book, Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. And it's creating a lot of uh, I think, attention at the moment. And, and he is, uh, this is a, a sort of a summary. Christianity is dismissed as a fairy tale in the culture. 
but its assumption underpinned the modern secular world. So it's on the one hand, you know, I don't want anything about to do with Christ, Christian faith, Christianity, the Christian heritage. But on the other hand, so much that we take for granted, he shows, is actually founded, anchored in the Christian faith. And then, just moving towards the end here, um, it was appropriate to include something from Ravi, I think, with you visiting us, Amy. Uh, and, and he often talks about the four categories, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And it seems to me that those four, question, four areas or issues are opening up avenues, areas of exploration today. What's the, you know, what do people think about origin today in Europe? How can we communicate biblical truth related to where people, people believe about the origin? Or about meaning? Or about morality? Maybe to some extent the toughest area. And destiny. Where are we, where are we heading? What is the purpose of life? Where do we see hope in Europe today? Well, I'm sure there are many areas we could point to, but I would like to emphasize very briefly four areas. The emphasis on church planting, so many places. New initiatives. New life springing up. People taking the gospel to places where it hasn't been. Or where it has, has been, become like a, a dead place for the gospel. Secondly, we've already touched on the migrant churches, which is playing such an important role. And thirdly, the apologetic renewal. The fact that there is a deep, deep renewed interest and need for apologetics, which is a dramatic difference compared to 20 or 30 years ago. And I think the, the, uh, the work of Foyer Fellowship of European Evangelists in the Universities of Europe is Lindsay Brown's initiative and others, and Michael Green, of course, uh, mm -hmm. uh, who recently passed away. Um, and uh, Lindsay Brown has written an article in the, the book just published by Julia Cameron as editor, and you've written a, a wonderful article as well, Amy. Uh, I think that there is hope there. And the fact that the decreasing knowledge of the Christian faith, then creates, it seems, an increasing curiosity. How can we build on that in our communication of the gospel? So this is, these are my reflections on what does it mean to bear witness to Jesus Christ and all his teaching in every nation, in every sphere of society and in the realm of ideas. <coughs> And this is at the heart of the Lausanne Europe 2020 initiative. And I think it's a, for me it has become a fresh way of formulating mission in a way that both keeps the best of mission tradition with a new and fresh perspective. That's it.
Any immediate reflections before we continue to our next topic? Yes, sir. Um, I think the formulation is very, very interesting relating to how we often think about evangelism and mission. We think of converting people uh, so they become objects of our what we even think kind of manipulation. So bearing witness to Jesus Christ is uh, is a way of having the right focus where we are we are relativized and we are opening space for the people we serve. Uh, we are not kind of the, the technicians of other people's conversions. So I think that bearing witness to Jesus Christ is a very interesting in terms of thinking about communication and and the possible use of or misuse of like uh, thinking about communication mm. in terms of mission. Thank you for that, Pion. Any other reflections? Mm. Um, in talking about uh, the apologetic uh, emphasis on truth and thinking about um, stuff that I've written and stuff I've been reading recently from um, Paul Gold, for example, on his uh, cultural apologetics uh, and uh, linking the, to that sort of broader idea of apologetics that emphasizes the truth and the goodness and the beauty of Christ and the gospel. Uh, I think uh, that would be interesting to, to integrate that more fully with, because you're already talking in, in three dimensions uh, in lots of ways. And that sort of broader three-dimensional understanding of apologetics, I think it would be interesting to see how that links across uh, with those uh, challenges in different spheres. Yeah. Any immediate ideas on how that Well, for example, a lot of, a lot of um, uh, people's objections to Christianity these days, I think, come in the, the moral sphere, in, say, the sphere of sexual ethics. The, the question isn't always immediately so much is the gospel, you know, are the gospels historically true or things like this. It is, uh, is the Christian sexual ethic a good way of living or is it an intolerant are you asking me to adopt an intolerant lifestyle? Um, why would I want to do that? You know? uh, so there's a sort of ethical um, dimension. Uh, they're really asking is Christianity a, a beautiful way of life? Aren't you asking me to adopt an ugly way of life that's intolerant and down on people and, and totalitarian and, and so on? Yeah. Maybe uh, uh, one question could be when thinking about our own work in, you know, there are, we represent a variety of contexts here, and thinking about, for example, the work in, a, in our mission organizations or mission context, do we emphasize all the three areas there, all the three dimensions uh, today? Uh, how could we move towards emphasizing more of them? As a holistic perspective, are there any ideas on any reflections? Mm -hmm. uh, again, Gold uh, uh, links his stuff about cultural apologetics to um, Makoto Fujimura's, uh, the Christian Japanese artist, 
uh, whole um, thing about uh, uh, sort of redeeming the culture uh, and um, uh, using uh, cult- the cultural sphere uh, as somewhere where, where Christians sort of show the, the beauty of the gospel through um, making fruitfulness in culture uh, as a way that ties in with mission but is, is, is itself one of our, our callings so that there's a sort of integral link between that whole thing about being salt and light in culture uh, and mission um, so that it's uh, not simply um, you know, doing these cultural things for its own sake but also having this byproduct of, of, of uh, helping people to, to grasp uh, the, the goodness and beauty of, of God and of Christ and so on through um, producing um, good modern art uh, like Forge um, Morris is involved in. Yeah. It seems to relate very clearly to the sphere of society yeah. you know, where, where art is, is one very important aspect. Yeah. Thinking about three brothers here from, from NLM, a regional information example, how you know, NLM has tradition, is focusing, as an example, as, a, as an illustration, is focusing very clearly on in every nation, you know, on, on moving towards where people have not heard. Uh, do we also focus, I include myself now, do we also focus on the other two? Any, any thoughts there? Yes. I'm just thinking about um, the organisation I work for, and we have four sort of, uh, well, really five, but, but outside of kind of the church, four areas that we're really focused on, um, which for us would be business, politics, um, the academic world, and the arts and media. Um, and even as a sort of growing organisation, you can feel, and, and we're in multiple nations, you can feel spread thin. So it strikes me that not every organisation can do all of it, mm-hmm. but it'd be quite useful to map who's mm-hmm. doing what mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. there's clarity in Europe about where the gaps are. Mm-hmm. And particularly as there are technological advances, um, getting a, keeping ahead of those so that we actually invest resource mm-hmm. where it's new resource, where it's needed rather than having 25 organisations trying to do everything or doing the same limited thing. But also how helpful it is, you know, part of my role is training young evangelists and apologists and it really focuses their mind to know these are our four priorities. It's evangelism through apologetics in these four areas. So if it doesn't fit that bill, there's only quite a small number of things you can do that's outside of that. Yeah, so... Thanks for sharing that. It seems to me like, you know, the bot, having the, the picture of the body of Christ yeah. where we all contribute. You know, yeah. we all have parts. We all are parts of that and we all are have gifts and callings and contexts where which are not identical yeah. but which complement one another. And having the humility to say we we can't do that, but we really want to bless you do yeah. it and help you do it. Yeah. yeah. And even empower others. Exactly. To do it, yeah. yeah. Praying, blessing others, you know. Yeah. Hmm. 
Any further thoughts? Well, since I'm your wife, I can be very honest about not exactly knowing what you're asking about. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because I feel there are two layers here. One is mission as a whole, you know, all over the world, uh, strategy and emphasis and so on. And the other, the other layer to me, as I hear you, is what about Europe now and in the years to come? And if that is the main focus, and I fully agree with what you said, Amy, about mapping out not only the needs, because we see a lot of needs, but also what's actually being done now in order to meet at least some of the needs. And then we will see that, oh, there are quite a few needs that haven't been addressed fully or maybe not at all. But I'm so sorry, I can ask him like that because he's my husband. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what you want from us. It might be that I would need more coffee, but there might <laughs> also be others. There might also be others wanting you to be maybe a bit clearer mm -hmm. what you want. Well, it was just an open, open invitation for open reflection, really, but I think you're right. There are, there are two levels there. and, and uh, my primary aim was just to share how what this has meant for me in terms of, of of getting a fresh take on mission and evangelism, or to use the technical word evangelization, you know, a holistic mission, and and it's it's a very rich statement. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's it's formulated by Lindsey Brown. He's, he was the author of that, if, uh, uh, you know, just before the, the Cape Town Congress. And I think it's very, very rich, and it also connects to the whole you know, the whole Reformation uh, heritage as well, where we see this not in a in, in a in a perfect way, but in a real way that. Uh, in every sphere of society, yes, definitely. In the realm of ideas, yes, definitely. But also, as, as, as uh, Lindsay pointed out a couple of weeks ago when we met in Poland, that new research has actually unearthed that the mission work during the Reformation was much more significant than we thought before. For example, from, from uh, Geneva, there was an amazing amount of mission initiatives coming out of that, uh, which I think is very, very encouraging to hear without, you know, it's not a perfect picture, but it's an encouraging picture. Well, you challenge us on, on, uh, on the mission organization point of view here. And, uh, I think you're right uh, in what you're implying, that uh, maybe our main focus has been mm -hmm. on the nation. Uh, aspect um, that, and we do have a uh, at least in NLM we have even our the headline is the world for Christ. Mm -hmm. So, so we we really want to spread out and and, uh, and uh, reach out into all all the nations. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at mission work uh, on a more historical base and uh, a bit further back, um, hitting all spheres of society has proven maybe challenging in some areas where the distinctive layers of culture is very strong, like let's just say in India, where, where the different castes, um, 
you cannot, if you are in one, on one level, you cannot really communicate upwards. And, and where, where the gospel was really embraced by the lower castes. Mm. And so in, the, in many, many parts of India, they got this idea that this is for the poor people. Mm. So for us who are higher up, mm. it's not significant to us. Mm. And, and the, you could, I'm sure you can, if you look into different cultures, you will find some of that. Um, so, so the challenge of reaching into new spheres of society, uh, I believe, is, ha has been uh, challenging um, because we are also getting accustomed <laughs> to, to what, what we have been doing over all these years. And so we end up continuing that or, mm -hmm. and, and we don't really look at the same culture with, with fresh eyes. And then also maybe in our times, I think that in the realms of ideas, a challenge that we face is the fragmentation of ideas, especially now I'm referring back to Europe, with with um, with what um, uh, work. Everything can be can be um, communicated. Everything can be kind of accepted, and and so so and we are people are looking at um, Christianity from the outside in, and they are making judgments about it without really knowing a lot about it. And so when we try to, uh, in an apologetic uh, way, try to explain, maybe the receptiveness is not so strong. I, I'm just thinking aloud here, but, but um, in, in the realms of ideas, I think maybe we, are, we have quite a job to do there um, in, in that sense. But, but yeah, I think on a long term, uh, looking back, we need to dig further into the society and, and the realm of ideas. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, uh, Rolf, you've been leading earlier Nordmission, and that, you know, two new uh, people groups and new generations, isn't that the... Yeah. That's, that's the, the, formulation. the essence uh, of the formulation? Yeah, yeah. We, we had that from 2001. Realizing that uh, there, it's happened before in the world that an area which uh, was Christian for hundreds of years uh, it, uh, stopped being Christian North, uh, North Africa except for uh, Egypt for example mm -hmm. so they were reached and they uh, also reached out from that area from, for hundreds of years uh, but at some time it stopped it was due to Islam of course in, in North Africa for example and are we there now in the European culture, mm. in parts of the European culture, in the, mm. the urban uh, European culture, mm. for example, that we have reached those times when we have got the generations who are not post-Christians anymore, we have, but we have got the new pre-Christian mm. generations. And how much reached are we then? So uh, do we, in the different <coughs> European countries, have both um, Christian, post-Christian, and pre-Christian generations and mm -hmm. cultural layers and levels. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's sort of the reflection behind uh, putting that new generations also, mm -hmm. adding that to new uh, nations or people groups. Um, but in the work that we did in Omerson towards Europe outside, outside uh, Norway, I think it was not very much on how to imp 
have impact on society, not too much on Real Madrid. Yes, even though that that is a part of it, you can't avoid it. Uh, but uh, it's pretty much on the simple level of mission, building uh, local fellowships, doing evangelism. Uh, so there is something to learn. I would say I would like to hear from you. Some of you were in Manila uh, last summer in the Workplace Forum, uh, which um, is very relevant to in every sphere of society. I would say. Uh, and I'm also now um, the chairman of uh, the TENT, uh, Norway TENT International tent Organization. Yes. And working on not only on tent making strategy and how to reach into uh, unreached parts of the world, which is important, of course, but also we have a focus on workplace ministry, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is very important for the strategy we had in, uh, in Europe. So we could come back to that tomorrow, but I think it's a very important aspect. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, two further thoughts before stretching our legs and then handing over to, to Amy. Um, in terms of Damaris, I'm thinking you know, there's quite a few of us who work with Damaris here. And to me, that is really in the realm of ideas. Bearing witness in the realm of ideas, where you know, the ideas are being communicated and shaped and how to respond to that, and, and how to do that with integrity. And uh, to me, that's part of my calling for being involved in, in both in, in apologetics and in, in cultural analysis. Right? Yeah, and maybe, Anna Sofri, could you just repeat a bit of what you shared this morning in the very early stage of your presentation, when you used the word um, catechisme, um, about how the television series for tweens, that was your main focus, um, Oplavik. Do you do that? Because it's really so much to the point here. Uh, it's not my wording, actually. I've stolen yeah. it from Tom. Oh, yeah, we all do. As long as, long as it's being said, it's, it's not really a theft, I think. Um, it's, it's been used in Luke 1 4, uh, how you. Um, are teaching the young ones uh, the, the ideas um, by repeating and by oh I'm so tired now <laughs> sorry you had a very early morning I know four or something um, so it's um, I'm so sorry, Anna. It's just because I can't recall myself. That's why I ask you. I think was it about messages being repeated and yes. being learned by heart? Yeah, and in and that in that way you're catechizing through the the series that they are watching mm -hmm. day by day. They are getting the um, the values and the stories um, uh, repeated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, like the old catechism uh, teaching in the Christian Church. Yeah. Now it's uh, you know secular uh, catechism taking place. Yeah. And, and research pointing at the immense impact mm -hmm. from the television series and media stories mm -hmm. as a whole. So that we get a proper challenge mm -hmm. as Christian families and churches. And I think what, one of the things I remember you, you shared about was, was how this is being repeated time after now, you know, in diff different stories. So if the same message it's been repeated you know, hundreds of times. That really has an impact. Not a single, you know, one, one experience, but the, the, the repetition. 
It's worth reflecting on. Motto in terms of open doors and the calling to 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 be you know the ministry for our persecuted brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Any reflections when you, you you think about this sentence? No, uh, but, but but of course uh, uh, of course we, we work in many countries, uh, uh, geographical places, but. Uh, uh, Especially uh, in many places, there are people that uh, have left, uh, like Islam or other religions. So there are there are a part of, a part of subcultures uh, that is quite typical in, in the, what what we are working with. Mm-hmm. And and I think that the uh, groups that have not been uh, so much in the focus maybe earlier mm-hmm. in uh, in mission work also. Mm. Marginalized groups. Maybe? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay.